0: to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday.
1: And I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday.
0: So, exciting episode. This week kicks off a new series that we'll be doing over the next four weeks, and that Kaylee and I have been referring to as the modern newsroom leader. Over the past year or so, there have been a lot of new names atop the mastheads of a whole host of publications. And while there's always turnover in the media industry, what stands out about these new editors-in-chief is... Well, a lot of things. For starters, many of them are women and BIPOC, which hopefully offers an inflection point for greater levels of diversity and inclusion inside newsrooms. And the job of an editor-in-chief today is also probably pretty different than when many of these people started out as journalists, with things like video and social media being part of the purview. Kaylee, I'm really excited that we're finally getting this series off the ground.
1: Yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, we've been covering a lot of these um, the topic of a modern newsroom and and what has changed about the way we work and the way that um, the journalism industry is, uh, you know, approaching the coverage of news and and diversity in the newsroom. And we've been covering these topics, right? But the people that are leading the charge of making those changes and addressing the issues that are affecting staffers are the editors-in-chief and the executive editors, the, the top, you know, editorial leads. So, being able to talk with them about their experiences and how they're addressing some of these challenges and issues in the journalism space right now is just really exciting. The first episode today really gets at the crux of some of those topics.
0: Absolutely. And so for that first episode, Kaylee, spoke with Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, who is the editor-in-chief of Vox Media's The Cut, and Swati Sharma, who is the editor-in-chief of Vox Media's Vox. Interesting, because, you know, both Lindsay and Swathi, they started around the same time as editors in chief which was, you know, back in the spring of this year. So, I mean, a year into the pandemic at that point.
1: Yeah, um, they both started around the same time. Um, I did ask them how much they get to work with each other. I mean, they're under Vox Media, but honestly, the, the brands are pretty different. So it turns out not that much, but they do you know, lean on each other, which is awesome. And the reason we had them both together was because we were talking about some of those things that working for Modern Digital Publisher um, causes the editor-in-chief role to have to consider, um, you know, sometimes for the first time. So, you know, Vox Media has a huge podcast network, for instance, and, and is getting into uh, video IP licensing. And so there's different ways of telling a story that an editor-in-chief of 20 years ago might not have been considering doing, right? They do get into some of the details about, um, you know, what their their day-to-day looks like and how they're approaching, you know, storytelling in different formats um, for sometimes the first time.
0: And I imagine they're also seeing opportunities to take a different approach to the culture of a news organization or a newsroom, right?
1: yeah, so we we definitely talk a lot about um, that as well because one of the big topics that is affecting a lot of journalists and um, editors right now is burnout. It's been something that's, you know, been occurring in the industry for years. But in the past year and a half, it's been at least talked about a lot more publicly, which is awesome um, because once there's more awareness, you can address it. Etc. Swathi talked about how her background in like news and politics journalism has led her to uh, be more understanding of those different burnout symptoms. And then Lindsay talked about her own personal way of dealing with it, which is really hard to do but she's she's kind of cracked the code i think so leading by example um they both talk about you know what's burdening newsrooms and how they're trying to lead their teams through that so it's a really great conversation i'm I'm excited for everyone to hear it
0: yeah i'm excited to hear it so without any further ado kaylee take it away
1: Lindsay, Swathi, thank you so much for joining us on the Digiday podcast today. This is the first episode of a series that we're working on that looks at the kind of new guard of editors-in-chief in in the digital media industry. What I wanted to focus on with this episode is kind of looking at how the role of editor-in-chief has changed over the years. It's become much more of a multi-platform focus. And I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts about what that really means and and what your role kind of looks like nowadays. Um, There's so many different factors that are impacting newsrooms. So I am really curious to hear both of your perspectives of holding these these jobs, uh, especially as we're all kind of remote still. For Many young journalists, editor in chief is kind of like the pinnacle that they aspire to reach in their careers. Both of you have achieved that pretty early on in your careers. Um, So I would love to kick it off by kind of talking about your career trajectories. Lindsay, I know you've previously served as editor in chief at Teen Vogue. So this is kind of your second reign as a, a top editor. What kind of led you to both of those positions? How are you in your position now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I um, always like to, to talk about my trajectory in the industry because it is very unconventional um, and unexpected. I grew up in the Midwest. I didn't have any connections in fashion or in media and specifically fashion publications. Um, you know, a lot of people traditionally come from really wealthy backgrounds, really connected in fashion backgrounds. And so I ended up actually just trying to intern in a lot of different places and um, just worked my butt off. And Teen Vogue was actually my first fashion internship. And so over the years, I you know would intern um, at a lot of different publications. I did a lot of um, interning for actual stylists. I did PR, tried all of it, um, and was able to get a job after I graduated at Teen Vogue, just working in the closet. Um, nothing glamorous. All I did was organize and schlep and run around and run errands for people. Um, and I can still remember the food orders, which I'm very proud of. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I, over the years, obviously, of interning and then being able to work at Teen Vogue, it was really am- an amazing experience, um, to come full circle and to come back as editor in chief. Um, that was an experience that, you know, I will forever cherish and just be so incredibly grateful for. There were so many things that, I was able to make more inclusive and diverse and modern and coming back. And in between that time, I became um, an editor at The Cut um, and spent many years at The Cut just really honing in on my voice as an editor. And that was my first job as an editor. And so that was always a really formative experience for me. And um, when the opportunity came to, to come back to the cut, it re- really wasn't a hard decision. I've always had such a love and a passion for who we are and what we stand for. And I think a lot of it is, um, you know, I, I really loved the places that I've worked and I'm really passionate about the work that I'm doing. So it's been exciting to do this a second time around.
1: So you still remember your food order or the food orders from when you worked in the closet. Was there any like crazy kind of requests that you had to...
2: Always. You are confession. There's always a crazy (laughs) request. I would say my problem, something that came to mind the other day, I was talking to my best friend. Um, we met while working in the fashion closet together. Couldn't have been more than like 18, 19. And, um, one of our managers would just randomly say flames all the time if something was wrong, but if there wasn't an actual fire, that was just her way of saying that she wanted somebody to come help her do something. Um, but the experience just taught me so much about, yeah, obviously, like what kind of manager you want to be, but how to actually develop a publication that is holistically inclusive. And I think a lot has changed in magazines over time, but a lot of the things that I'm doing right now are things that I really desired as a kid and, you know, as, as a young person working in fashion to see myself represented more. So it's it's very surreal to be able to actually do a lot of the things that I've dreamed about for a very long time.
1: And uh, Swathi, this is your first role as editor-in-chief, but you've held various like editor positions in the past um, in and. In- a variety of newsrooms. I guess you took this position um, as the editor-in-chief of Vox this past March. Um, so I guess what about Vox stood out to you as this being your next step and, and you know, the the trajectory you wanted to take your career in?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I, I love what you said about how a lot of young journalists want to become an editor-in-chief one day. And it's really, it's really funny because I never thought I would become an editor-in-chief, even even a year ago, and so the way that i 've approached every job that i 've had in in journalism is I think about the skills I want to develop at the next job um, so you know I was at the I was at the washington post i i I had four different jobs at the washington post um, it was this, at the Boston Globe, I think it was also like two or three jobs, and what I always did was try to really learn, think about what I want to get out of each opportunity. And so, you know, with Vox, what really stood out to me is Vox's mission and what Vox tries to accomplish. So, like, yes, okay, I have had a lot of different jobs at a lot of various um, amazing publications, but the thing that kept me going is my own personal goal, which is um, I believe that ignorance is the root of a lot of societal ills. And I believe that um, information and knowledge can, can eradicate a lot of the problems in our society. And I think people need to uh, journalism needs to reach a lot of diverse communities. And that has always been something that drives me no matter what position I have, whether it was hyper local news or the national security and foreign digital editor or the, you know, general assignment, um, deputy general assignment editor, or the managing editor at the Atlantic. Either way, this goal is what, I I just stayed focused on this goal, and Vox's whole mission is to provide clarity to its audience. We, of course, you know, lawmakers should read us and hopefully, you know, think about the solutions we propose to, to major problems, but we write for the people. We want to explain how that policy that was, you know, just past how it applies to 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 the people reading us. And that that Vox doing that, that that is um, really important. It's really does mirror what I care about the most. And so when I was thinking about, you know, the Atlantic was wonderful. And when I was thinking about, you know, what could take me away from the Atlantic, um, this position at Vox really, really spoke to me.
1: Yeah. So you had mentioned that editor in chief wasn't something that you expected to to hold the role for you. You weren't like kind of expecting that to be the next step. Um, Lindsay also mentioned that like the media industry, the magazine industry has changed so much over the past you know decade, decade plus. I'm curious when you guys both took the role of um, editor in chief, did you kind of know what it would It would look like because i feel like um you know digital media in general but vox media is a pretty strong like multi-platform publisher um you have the podcast network you have a studio business that's licensing you know video um content there's a lot of different areas to like tap into for storytelling i'm curious like when you were coming into these roles did you have this kind of expectation of all the different, like I guess, platforms that you had to work on and, and assign stories to? Or I guess, does the role of editor-in-chief feel like what you would have expected it to be um, when you were first starting out in your careers?
2: Yeah, I actually think that I, I was pretty aware of all the different brand extensions and the ways that I wanted to expand to the cut, but also just, I think... Um, since I was already an editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue, I knew the kind of role that I wanted to make it into myself. And I, I do feel like traditionally um, in specifically fashion publications, there's definitely either um, the editor-in-chief being, you know, a workhorse and you maybe don't know that much about them or they're like the face of the brand, but then the, the team is really doing the bulk of the work. And I always felt like that, you know, that, Uh, infrastructure really didn't make sense, to be honest. I think, obviously, as an editor-in-chief, you have to be a bit front-facing, and the cut, obviously, being tied to fashion and culture and a lot of front-facing things, and we do covers. um, It is a bit more front-facing, but at the beginning and end of each day, it's all about the work. Um, I took this job because I'm hungry to do the work. I want to make an incredibly ambitious body of work in my career, and so I think that Um, some of the outward things have changed or maybe some of the ways that, you know, we talk about this work has changed. But ultimately, I think both of our goals is is to make great work and to make our audiences feel seen and heard. Um, And I think definitely in coming back to The Cut, I knew that I wanted to expand on a lot of things that I knew in the foundation of The Cut and figure out a way to make it our own in this next era.
1: Yeah, and Swathi, what about you? How do you kind of think about the more multi-platform nature of storytelling um, in digital media right now?
3: Yeah. I mean, if anything, you know, I, I was, I I think Lindsay as well, I think we're both digital natives. So we, you know, I, I was trained in an environment where, where it was always known that there's going, going to be many different ways to tell stories And, um, you know, whether this started from my very first job, you know, at the Boston Globe, where I was, I was um, a producer covering hyper local news. And it was even at that point, um, you know, videos, not podcasts at that point. But, you know, there were so many different ways to to tell stories and multimedia storytelling was a huge part of what we did, you know, back then, um, you know, almost 10 years ago. And so, it's always been a focus, uh, you know, a huge part of my job. I think the thing that has changed over time is what Lindsay is talking about is what leadership looks like. I think that I think I think when it comes to multimedia storytelling, I think that I was always expecting that that was always how I was trained. And it's been amazing to work at a place like Vox, where the multimedia storytelling is so incredibly strong. Um, but I think, you know, another part is leaders have to think about um, not just, you know, one part of storytelling. And and I think traditional editors kind of had that really hardcore. Um, they were either writers before or they were, you know, um, Major editors leading huge newsrooms and trained in very traditional ways. I think what's changing right now is that a lot of us are digital natives who always from the start always thought about, you know, digital storytelling, multimedia storytelling. And so it almost comes Um, more natural to us to think about the whole picture.
1: That said, so the day that we're recording this, um, I believe I saw that The Cut released its September fall fashion magazine cover um, with Naomi Campbell. So print is still a a key part of like the New York Magazine um, editorial output. How is, I guess, you know, being digital native and, and, you know, being able to tell stories in different mediums, how has print kind of remained a key part of the cuts editorial strategy, Lindsay. Is it something that you've, you know, always wanted to work in because you did come up through the fashion magazine kind of side of the business? I guess, is print still something that is abundant from an audience perspective?
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up loving and reading and being obsessed with magazines. Um, It is something that I will always be obsessed with as far as having, you know, the tangible physical copy and I think that, you know, obviously the, the landscape of it has changed. A lot of publications have closed, but I still think that print is really important. I think, um, for us, it, it just serves another way for us to reach an audience in a different way. And specifically, you know, with this, um, September cover with Naomi Campbell, such a huge moment for us to have someone, like her on the cover. And you do want to be able to see that imprint. You do want to be able to look at the photos in your hands. You do want to be able to read a lot of the stories in our September issue and be able to sit with it. And I just find that especially, you know, longer features essays, sometimes I want to actually sit down on the couch on a Saturday and and read it with my coffee and have that experience, which I, I think is, you know, everyone's preference. But Um, I want to be able to reach our audience wherever they're at. And if, you know, they find it to be um, a little bit more comfortable or they like the experience of still having that in their hands, like that's something that obviously is a a priority for us. And I think just especially with the shoot, it is something that, you know, it doesn't do it justice to just see it on the screen. You want to see it in person.
1: I don't know. I'm still personally partial to print as well, Um, but it was just a beautiful cover. And I definitely want to ask about it since it, I believe, it launched today. So, another topic I did want to talk about, and, and Lindsay, you kind of touched on this um, earlier when you mentioned um, having worked in the fashion closet and you had the manager who um, would yell flame when she needed, you know, someone's attention needed to fix an issue. And, and recognizing management, management styles at that time that maybe you wanted to replicate or not replicate in your own kind of editor position in the future, um, I would love to kind of hear both of your thoughts about managing a newsroom. Right now, burnout in the media industry, particularly for journalists, is such a prominent issue. Um, I mean, it has been for a really long time, right? This isn't like anything new, but the past year and a half, two years or so, People have been very open about experiencing burnout and needing to take a break um, because covering the, the news cycle the past year and a half has been exhausting. Living through it simultaneously has been exhausting. How have both of you approached this? I mean, Swathi, you came from a, a like a very news political-centric environment um, before Vox. So I guess how have you used that experience to lead this newsroom now at Vox?
3: That's a great question. Um, I first want to thank all of the journalists who have spoken out about, bur- spoken up about burnout because it is a real issue and that I think a lot of us were, you know, not comfortable about opening, um, openly discussing. So I think it's really great that we're having this conversation. Um, it's, it, yes, I've worked on, you know, my, my, one of my jobs was to work on breaking news on the weekends at the Washington Post. So I'm very, very, and this was, you know, during the 2016 election and the Trump year. So I'm very familiar with, with what this news cycle does to us, especially, you know, you know, running the COVID coverage at the Atlantic. Um, I really do believe that journal, that our, our journalism can only be as good as our newsroom culture. And caring about our, the people we work with is just so incredibly important. And I do believe that, you know, the, the newsroom culture has to, has to be tied to employee well-being. And without that, I just think you really can't deliver on the journalism that, that, that we're supposed to deliver. Um, and so I, I think things like, at Vox, you know, we have unlimited time off and we really do ask people to take time off. And again, this comes from like very specific, um, you know, procedures that we have in place. Like if people are covering a breaking news moment, which of course does happen, they have to they should definitely take time off that following week. You know, if people should make sure that they we have summer Fridays, um, um, at Vox and we, we make sure that people are taking that time off and we, and they can choose the the Fridays to take off. There's about, you know, eight Fridays that they can choose from over the summer and they, 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 they choose the time that they want to take off. But even beyond that, um, you know, I think taking time off is one part of burnout, but another big part is like really covering, covering really difficult news. So when there were, you know, um, when there when there is really heavy news we make sure in our meetings we talk to our staff and make sure they're taking care of themselves you know when the there was this moment when we thought you know covid was going to calm down a bit and then the delta variant came you know came into play we made sure in our our big staff meetings that we were checking in with people and really acknowledging how tough it is for For families and for all individuals, just going back to, you know, wearing masks all the time. That's not easy. And even if we're covering this news, it really does take a toll on you. And I think for us, it's just so essential that managers are checking in on their teams, that we're, you know, really um, identifying how hard things are. And I think these kinds of things go a long way. And it's really just... The culture we're trying to set up, where it's you know we take time off, but we also are really checking in on how we're doing, and we and we make sure that you know individuals see feel seen and heard, and know that there's a whole support system around them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean that. I think it's the time off aspect. Like it's it, not being able to travel and and feel like they're making use of PTO. I think has led a lot of people to not. Take the time off, but it is important to just log off, you know, for a week, especially after a a particularly hard cycle. Lindsay, I guess, what's your approach been to, you know, managing burnout as well? Like, have there been any kind of particular things that you found have worked for um, maybe like leading a remote staff, for instance?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, similar to what Swati said. I think it's all about in the culture and I think it's a top down thing. Um, obviously, you know, when we have unlimited time off, but I think there are two things. It's for me, it's always a, you know, people need to actually be off when they have time off because I think there is a tendency for people to take off, but then still end up taking a couple calls or need to catch up on something else. And I think um, I really want people to understand that the time off should actually be time off for one, because I think that's also a big issue for any company. Um, B, I think it also is to, as managers, I think it's our responsibility to also, you know, have that, that empathy for other people and also just understand that like we're all human beings and be able to have conversations with people, and almost sense that, you know, where staff is and, and make, you know, adjustments there. So, I mean, personally, for the cut, we worked really hard on this fashion issue. There's a lot going on in September from Met Gala to Emmys. Um, a lot of packages coming up. So we company wide have, you know, Friday and then Monday off for Labor Day. I decided starting Wednesday, we're going to be off because I wanted to make sure that staff is able to have some downtime. That I appreciate all the hard work for this issue and that, you know, I want them to be able to enjoy the rest of the end of the summer. And I just think that it's about Us, you know, really enforcing that work life balance um, because everybody is going to have a different comfort level of coming to you and saying, like, I'm okay with taking time off or I need to take this time off. And so it definitely has, it's definitely a top down culture shift um, for a lot of people to actually, you know, have that time off. But I think we've done it in the best way we can. And, you know, this pandemic again has been really hard. Um, Running a newsroom is really hard in that. I think, especially, you know, in this time of, um, racial injustice and so many reckonings happening as a Black woman, it, it can be tiring and, and really emotional. And there's been a lot of days where I felt like it was really hard for me to to want to continue to read more, to have to listen to another speech or, you know, to, to stay tuned in. But I think it's also, you know, those conversations and empathy for each other has gotten us through. And um, I feel like we're obviously still in a very... Um, it feels like it's just very uncertain times, but I I think that we've created a culture that is um, a very just based in community so that we can at least, you know, facilitate those conversations and that people feel supported.
1: Right. No, I was going to ask too. I mean, both of you are obviously leading newsrooms. You have your hands in a lot of different projects. Uh, Lindsay, to your point, you're living through um, moments of time that are just very mentally draining and, and trying to keep on top of the news cycle. You know, personally, how have you been approaching you know burnout because, like you said, uh Lindsay, it's kind of like a top down approach in making sure that you know your team is taken care of, but you also have to like take care of yourself. Is there an additional pressure in being the top editor of taking time off or you know focusing on how to? It's almost like being on a plane when they tell the, the adults to put their mask on first before they help their child. Like, is it kind of that mentality that you've been taking on as well? How have you been kind of approaching burnout?
2: I actually made, um, my husband actually gave me a suggestion a couple of years ago that I thought was crazy when he said it, but he was totally right. Um, I really log off and like, you cannot find me on the weekends. Um, like you will not find me. And I think it's the best thing I have ever done because I think there is definitely um, probably because of social media, but there's definitely this heightened feeling of just, you know, always having to be on and whether it's like reading something or, you know, posting something or engaging with people on social media or, you know, sharing an article from the cut or looking at something that maybe we should be covering next week, um, these kinds of jobs obviously just require a certain level of brain power. And I think also, I mean, specifically even working at the cut, the funniest the funniest thing that you go through in like working in these kinds of jobs for me is that you can be watching something. And then start to think, oh, maybe we should cover that person or maybe we should shoot them or let me look up if we should. Did we do a review or critique? It just your brain just continuously is going and everything can become, in a sense, something to write about or content or something to engage with people on on social media. And so for me, it's often just like fully stepping away on the weekends and not like, you know, not being on social media um, I'll I'll make a list of things that I want to watch that maybe seem like something that we cover at the cut and I'll specifically block that time out to watch it at a certain time so that on my weekends, I'm actually just watching things for my own enjoyment and pleasure and I'm not then, you know, thinking about a way for this to be part of an editorial strategy. And that's that's been a big uh, shift for me and a really big help for me personally.
1: Yeah, that's really smart. Is it like, are, on the weekends, are you exclusively watching like, Love Island and Too Hot to Handle, or I guess I guess maybe that's something you could cover as well. But
2: it's different. It's like I'm I'm watching a lot of Housewives. I'm watching Love Island, but but I'm just I'm I'm usually binge watching it, so I'm just laughing for hours. So it's not like I'm watching an episode and then like oh we need to did we do a recap of this? Like I'm a little late to it, which I, I prefer.
1: Yeah, awesome. Swathi, is that kind of a similar approach? Have you also taken a you know completely off the grid? weekend mentality, or is that not something that you personally kind of practice?
3: So, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, um, you know, coming from, um, newsrooms and really covering, you know, news in, in most of my jobs, whether it was like the rise of ISIS or, or Trump, um, or, and COVID last year, I, I actually really had to teach myself um, practicing self-care over during COVID because before I would really just be on all the time. And then I would like hang out with my friends and that is where I get my energy. But during COVID that was all reset. And I actually realized that I needed to spend more time by myself than than I traditionally do. And so I had to, I've, and I'm still, I'm still doing that. I'm teaching myself what it means to be, um, A kind of leader who does, you know, take a step back, who does give myself time to reset. You know, I think I've always been good about not of being an empathetic leader with my with my teams and making sure they're taking time off, making sure they aren't, you know, working off hours, making sure they're taking care of themselves. But I haven't um, been doing the same for myself. And in this job over the past um, you know, five months, I've been really, I do, I do set time for myself, whether it's like in the morning I wake up, you know, early, I work out and I try to just read all the things I want to read that don't necessarily, or just keep me like informed what I would do, even if I wasn't in journalism. But then, you know, off hours, I really try to, you know, I, I, I'm more into, um, I watch a lot of Bollywood and that, that, that is always an escape. And that really does keep me, um, that keeps me, um, away from, from really burning out. And I always also have built really good systems, you know, staying in touch with my support systems and my, um, family and friends to keep me grounded and keep me, um, keep my head clear. So it's definitely been something I've had to teach myself and I'm Going to try to be more like Lindsay as I always want to be and, be, and 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 try to try to walk off the weekends as well. I mean, it's it's
1: so hard to do, honestly. Like, I think because both of your, your coverage topics are so ingrained in like society, culture, uh, television, even it, it's it's so hard to draw that strict line. So it is really good to hear about how you've kind of started setting those boundaries and knowing that if the leaders are doing it, it's okay for like the journalists to be doing it, right? Like I I think it's very, very important to hear someone in a top position saying that they're setting these boundaries because not everyone can easily do that. But I'm also curious too, because another important topic about like leading a newsroom right now has been the focus of diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly, you know, highlighting a variety of voices and coverage. Um, I would love to kind of hear about your kind of thoughts about coming into these positions and what you've maybe done to address um, like the newsrooms that you've entered, but also adding more, you know, voices into your coverage and and the different places where they show up, um, whether it's podcasts or written content in the magazine. And I'm also really curious to hear how your past experiences might have led to what you've wanted to change about the newsrooms that you lead now. Swati, you mentioned earlier, the reason why you kind of came into this position is because you really want to have journalism be uh, a place where it's informative and inclusive of a lot of a lot of different voices. How has your past experiences led to, you know, your approach to making sure that the journalism is really encompassing of of everyone
3: in America and, you know, globally? You know, one thing, one thing I always say to um, anyone I work with is that, if you're failing at DEI, um, if you don't have a diverse and inclusive newsroom, you're failing at journalism. Um, I think I think that's just so incredibly core to what we do, and I bring that mentality into everything I do, from from the coverage we have, from the contributors we bring on, from freelance to visuals to you know the stories assigned to various policies. It's just so fundamental to everything we do, and you know, talking about my personal experiences, you know, one thing I I did not come from a family of journalists. I did not, you know, my, I grew up in the Bay area in California and it was just very, I, I did not grow up with like magazines coming to our home or anything like that. But, you know, one thing I, one thing I learned very early on, and it's something, you know, I am proud of is that every newsroom that I went to, you know, especially like in Boston, where I was at like Worcester magazine, and then the Boston Globe, it is a very different culture than the culture I grew up in. And I use that, um, you know, I use that to my advantage, I studied the newsrooms, that I was in, I really tried to figure out how to navigate them. I figured out like, who are the people who actually make decisions? Who, who are the people who will be my allies? And I did so much work to be able to just fit in and figure out how to move forward in these organizations. I don't really want that to be the case moving forward in my newsroom. I want people of all different backgrounds to feel comfortable in in the newsrooms I'm leading, and that is um that is a really big focus of mine, and that comes down to the work too. I I feel like no matter what your background is, DEI should everyone should be feel responsible, no matter what level they're in, because everyone is is working on the journalism, and I think it's really important as a leader to set that as a priority in the newsroom, and I think that those are the kinds of things that we're, that are going to make, um, you know, our newsroom be the kind of place where everyone wants to work and where everyone can, can thrive. Um, I also just think that, I also just think that it's so important for people to, um, you know, when we're doing, when we have our reporters and editors, you know, covering the big, important stories, like, no matter what their background is, there's just no excuse to not really understand the communities they cover. And, you know, I think that's it's it's so important to be able to, um, you know, not fall into stereotypes, not try to really understand what the issues are. And that's how we gain people's trust. I mean, one of the biggest, you know, the crises in journalism right now is reader trust. And, you know, if you don't have a diverse and inclusive newsroom, You won't be able to win trust of people. And I think that, again, comes down to the newsroom culture and the standards we all set.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Lindsay, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that as well. Um, you know, coming from the fashion side of uh, media and, and, you know, the the lifestyle um, magazine kind of space, you know, how is your maybe experiences coming up through that side of um, the media industry? How has that like influenced your approach to, you know? DE&I as a editor-in-chief now, um, I'm very familiar with the, the fact that there is a lot of issues in the fashion um, industry in terms of being inclusive of, you know, race, body shape, um, gender, you know, all these things. I'm really curious to hear kind of how your experiences have led to your approach to, um, you know, dealing with these issues uh, as a top editor now.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've always been passionate about, and, I, and I've spoken about a ton, because I think that in fashion, um, there's just so many layers in it, and it's, it's incredibly nuanced in what we do in fashion, because fashion is so much more subjective than other forms of journalism, and specifically, you know, how we choose someone who is chic enough, or good enough, or cool enough to be on covers, to be given a feature, to do a shoot with, all of that. Really is just decided in it in a different way, and I do think for me it it comes to light in so many different ways of how you can actually make things holistically inclusive and not just like checking the box to make one thing and this other thing diverse um, it's It's around eighty eight percent of the new hires at the cut are identifying as people of color, and it's obviously something that, as a black woman is really important to me to make sure that we're being really diverse in, you know, yes, gender, race, sexuality, abilities, all of those things, but really what I'm what we're talking about is different perspectives and different lifestyles and different forms of access that we need to make sure that we're covering on the site. Um, I think an example that I always give for like fashion and beauty, um, we have a a really great package on our site right now called Black Beauty Matters. um, And that's in partnership with Sephora. And the content is amazing. and, And I'm super proud of it because it really delves into the experiences of Black beauty and not in this, you know, trendy, just melanin, corny kind of way. It really talks about the experiences of Black women, um, things that, issues that aren't talked about and not just the, the pretty shoots. It's really about, you know, giving credit where it's due. And I think specifically in that beauty space, um, it's it's really it's it's really apparent to me, but I think it's hard for people who don't work in the industry to understand because I've readily been to so many beauty events and talked to beauty editors um, about my own black hair of like oh you know could I use this product or you know you go to a press event and say you know could I use this for for my braids or for my hair and they have no idea what I'm talking about and have no understanding of black hair textures and could never tell me. Um, my curl pattern, right? And I think that's what we mean by inclusivity is not just understanding European beauty standards or just the, the, um, you know, major brands and their products, actually understanding in depth, okay, so regardless of this person's heritage or race or texture or identity, whatever it is, that you should be able to help them find a hairstyle, help them, you know, figure out where they could get their haircut, what products work for them, um, I may use a certain kind of oil that obviously somebody of a different race like can't use oil, and so I think it's all in the, those details and nuances that I think um, fashion really has yet to 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 understand and to grapple with, and I think to to reckon with, um, and I think especially on my end, obviously you know you, that comes to life in in hiring, but also in any stories that we're putting out, and I just want to elevate voices from a wide range of backgrounds.
1: Those are really you know, both were really great kind of perspectives. I'm also curious, you know, both obviously New York Magazine is under, um, is is with Fox Media. Do you guys ever get to work together or overlap on any kind of projects? I'm curious, like how much the brands are kind of standing independent um, or, you know, work together on any kind of uh, cross packages that might, you know, work for both audiences. I'm curious, do you you know, look at your audiences to see if there's any kind of overlap there at all?
2: I would just like to say full transparency. I love Swati. So we just talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We haven't, we haven't like had the chance to work on a project together. um, But I just have so much respect for her. And um, we we often just bounce ideas off of each other, but um, nothing formal yet.
3: Yeah, I think we're both still pretty like early in our, you know, um, time here. But I just I feel like you know it's just so good to have someone like Lindsay around um she's just such an amazing person in spirit and so we you know someone who i can trust and really talk to it's just really amazing to have her
1: awesome well it's great to like i don't know always have someone who's started around the same time as you that you can kind of like lean on when you're learning the ropes i definitely get that from just my own colleagues all right last question cuz i know we're about at time i would love to hear about any kind of exciting projects that you might be working on. Um, Obviously, the the Cut Fall magazine issue just came out. um, But, you know, what else is in the pipeline for the Cut and for Vox?
3: And, um, yeah, for Vox, the big thing that we're doing is, um, you know, really moving forward on um, our editorial strategy. And, you know, I've been here for five months. I've really kind of tried to under um, I think I've gotten a really good sense of the newsroom. And I think our next big thing is really um, moving forward on, um, you know, identifying what Vox does best and how to keep living up to our mission. And if there's one big project that, um, that we're working on for me, it's, it's that. And I think from there we can move on and do, do so much. And Lindsay, how about you?
2: For The Cut, um, uh, most of my time has just been spent in, in figuring out our next steps for editorial visions and strategies, and I'm really excited um, for our cover that came out today, and The Fashion Issue in general has some really ambitious journalism that I'm excited for people to read. and. Um, We have a we actually have a couple people starting this week and next week. And so um, most of it is really just figuring out in this new era of the cut where where we want to go and how far we can take it. And um, we're all really hungry to do the work. So I'm really excited.
3: One thing I'll add is we are um, going to be we are currently going to be hiring a lot of people. So please come to Fox. Um, and the cut come 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 to either place. We 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 want all the great people.
1: Now I've seen so much hiring right now. It's definitely an employees kind of marketplace. So, it which is amazing because you know the past, uh, you know earlier in the pandemic that was definitely not the case. So it's amazing to see all these openings in journalism. So plug for all of our listeners to find a new job. Thank you both so much for taking the time to chat with us for this series. It was really awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Kaylee. And thank you for listening to the Digiday podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode.